Now, I got a question for you. What do you think of when I say the word aliens? Is it maybe something like this? Like a little green man from Mars or something along those lines? Or maybe it's like this guy. This is kind of what I think of when I hear the word aliens. And uh, no, nobody know who that is. It's a whole internet thing. And it's a show on History Channel called Ancient Aliens. Aliens. Anyway, uh, that's what I think of. Uh, Maybe you think of Star Wars or Star Trek. Do I have any Trekkies here today? Any Trekkies? A couple Trekkies? A few Trekkies here? That's great. And... uh, Maybe we have a rumble in the parking lot later, uh, which is better, Star Wars or Star Trek. Um, well, this morning we're continuing in our series on First and Second Peter called Basic. We're talking about the foundations of our faith. We're talking about the very basic things that we believe uh, as Christians. Peter was writing to the first century Christians who were living in what is modern-day Turkey uh, called Asia Minor. And uh, he was. Uh, this is a circular letter that they would take and they would pass it from church to church. Uh, and so these are basic teachings about the fundamentals of Christianity. So today we're talking about aliens, aliens living on earth. And <laughs> you may be wondering, what in the world does the Bible have to say about aliens? Well, Peter calls you and me aliens. We're going to talk about that and what it means to be an alien or a stranger, people who are living far from home, people who are not living where they belong. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul wrote to the Philippian church that our citizenship is in heaven. Where we really belong is heaven. That is where our home is. It's heaven. And our time here on earth is time merely spent traveling, passing through, being aliens and strangers here on earth. And so we're going to talk exactly about what that means. And uh, the question I have today is, how are we to live in a world where we really don't belong? What kind of lives should we be living? As citizens of heaven, sojourning here on earth, how should we be living? It's a tough question. Do we live for the future? Do we live for heaven alone? Or do we have a job to do here on earth? Do we have a task to complete? And what kind of way are we to, are we to live uh, arrogantly and, and pridefully and say, well, I'm, I belong in heaven. I'm, I'm a Christian. I, you know, or do we live humbly? And well, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about four key concepts that Peter relates to our journey toward our heavenly home. So if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, grab a Bible, turn to 1 Peter 2. We're going to look at verses 11 through 25. And if you uh, have your bulletin, you can turn to the handy dandy outline on the back page. Let's look um, at verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. The first blank on your outline is living in the world, living in the world. You know, we are to live very distinct lives. We are to live distinct lives, lives that are markedly different, lives that are, well, just not like everybody else. There are two things that we're supposed to do here in these first two verses that we're looking at. The first is to abstain from sinful desires. Now, the Greek words 
that are translated there as abstain from sinful desires literally means to keep away from or stay far away from. And it's, I've talked about this before. It's kind of like being on the, on the beach and, taking a, and drawing a line in the sand and, uh, and taking about 10 steps back from that line. And just saying, you know, that is the line between righteousness and sin. That is the line between uh, evil and good, sinful desires and, and righteousness. And so that's the line. And rather than, because what do we do? We kind of tiptoe up to the line, you know, and say like, oh, well, I'm not sinning yet. Oh, sure looks good on the other side of that line. Mm, maybe if I just put a toe over. No. What Peter says is we are to abstain or keep far away from sinful desires. Now, what kind of sinful desires are we talking about? The, the word for sinful desires is the same word Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 5 when he talks about uh, lust and he talks about uh, desires of the flesh. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus talks about uh, greed and wealth and, and desiring wealth. Uh, it's that same word for evil desires or sinful desires. Uh, it's, it's, it's about greed. In, in the book of James, James talks about how it is our evil desires, our sinful desires that entice us, like a siren's call almost, and it entices us towards sin. So Peter is telling us that in the things that we struggle with, in the sins that we struggle with, in the temptations that we struggle with, we are to keep away from them. Stay far away from them. Take 10 steps back from them. 20 if you got to. 50 if it's really tough. But where the, the line is, we need to take many steps back and stay away from sinful desires. Now, the good news is that God has given us his Holy Spirit. When we believe in Jesus, put our faith and trust in him, uh, repent from sin, confess our faith, and get baptized, the Bible says that God fills us with his Holy Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit, and this is our secret weapon against sinful desires. It's our secret weapon against evil desires. And, and what happens is the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, and we are to allow the Holy Spirit to take control of us to surrender and submit to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives, to say, I'm no longer in control because let's face it, I don't know about you, but I know that in certain areas of my life where temptation is really hard, it is hard to be in control of those passions, of that greed, of that lust, of all those different sinful desires that come along. It's hard to be in control of those things. You know, I got it. I, you know, I'm fine. I can tiptoe up to the line. It's not a big deal. Hmm, that sure looks good. Well, maybe just once won't hurt. And then I'm in sin. Maybe just twice won't. It's not that bad. It's not like a habit or anything. Or three times or, okay, forget it. I'm just crossing the line. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. No, we need to abstain from sinful desires. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to control us, to surrender and submit to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That means when temptation comes calling, and it does come calling, when temptation comes calling, we say, Spirit, show me the way out. The Bible has promised us that when it comes to temptation and sin, that God always provides a way out. The problem is, is that we don't look for the way out, do we? No. It's like, man, I hope nobody sees this, but <laughs> I'm going to do what I want to do. 
Rather, we need to look for the way out. We need to abstain and keep away from sinful desires and allow the Holy Spirit to have control in our lives. The second thing that Peter says we have to do is live good lives among the pagans. To live good lives among the pagans. We, people who know Jesus... People who know Jesus need to live differently than people who don't know Jesus. There should be a distinct difference in the way that we live our lives because we have Jesus in our lives. Brennan Manning is a Christian author, and this is what he said. Look at this quote. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. When we are living like everybody else, Craig Groeschel is a Christian pastor, and what he says, he says we're living like Christian atheists, is in that we believe that God exists, but we live like he doesn't. We just do whatever we want. And we'll say, yes, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, but then we deny him by the way that we live. There's no change in us. And as followers of Jesus, there's supposed to be a change in us. We're supposed to live differently. God has expectations of how we live. And he says that we are to live good lives among those who are not living good lives. That we don't go with the flow, we're supposed to go against the flow. When everybody else is doing this, how many times did your mom tell you when you were growing up? If everybody's going to, if everybody, you know, if your best friend jumped off a bridge, would you follow, would you jump off? No, no. Right? No. No way. I'm not going to, you know. But yet we do that when it comes to sin. You know, we see the world and everybody, well, everybody's doing it. Right? It's not that big a deal. The worst one of them all. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just, I just, just let me do what I want to do. Peter says we are to live good lives among those who are not living good lives that we may stand out we may stick out that we may be different than everybody else that we might live a markedly different life and then when we do that we demonstrate the authenticity of our message that there is consistency in what we say we believe and and with how we live that there's consistency in what we say and what we do, and the world will not be turned off by hypocrisy, but will rather turn to God for repentance and forgiveness. Second blank on your outline is submitting to the government. <laughs> Let's have some fun. Submitting to the government. Look at verses uh, 13 through 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God honor the king you know there's a very important word there in verse 17 all right look at verse 17 show proper respect to everyone r-e-s-p-e-c-t find out what it means what it means to god what does that word mean what does respect mean in this passage 
means to show honor to an office or a position. To show honor to an office or a position or to someone holding that office or position. Now, we live in a very divided country. We do not take seriously the words of the Pledge of Allegiance. One nation, under God, indivisible. Yet we seem very divided, don't we? We seem very divisible as a nation. And that's not right. It shouldn't be that way. Think about the people to whom Peter's writing. They were living under the Roman Empire where it was becoming increasingly difficult to be a Christian under that government. Persecution was breaking out. And I'm not talking like, you know, people making fun of you for your faith. I'm talking about serious like pain and torture and death and things like that. Okay, it was illegal to be, it was becoming illegal to be a Christian. And there was persecution breaking out against the believers. And yet here is Peter telling these first century Christians to honor and respect those who were even causing their suffering. This whole passage is about suffering and suffering in different ways. And one of the ways they were suffering was suffering at the hands of their government. Peter says to respect those who were causing their suffering. Now, that just doesn't sound right, does it? I mean, like I said, you know, we're a divided country and, and you know, we our supreme allegiance is to God first and foremost. And then to the authorities that he has instituted here on earth. And yet we are a people who are, like I said, very divided. You know, you either support our government, the president or Congress or the Supreme Court. You support, maybe you support the governor, maybe you don't. Maybe you support the town council, maybe you don't. The fact is, is that God says here in 1 Peter that we are to honor and respect the governing authorities And like I said, it's very hard to do that when it seems like the government is going against the very things that we hold dear. When it seems like the government is going against the things that are important to Christians. For example, uh, this couple weeks ago was the 40th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. when The Supreme Court uh, made it uh, abortion on demand legal. And since that time, there have been 55 million abortions. 55 million babies aborted in our country in 40 years. 55 million in 40 years. You know, I think about how in the world could a government allow such a thing? And Christians over the years have protested against abortion. We've uh, protested nonviolently. And unfortunately, sadly, tragically, we've uh, protested violently. And that's not right. We need to take a stand for the things that we believe in. We need to take a stand, but we need to do it within the legal confines of our government. Because the one thing that Peter tells us is that God is the one who has instituted the authorities among men. That our president is president, not because our country elected him. He's president because God allowed him to be our president. And every president before him and every president to come. The government that we have in place is a government that God has allowed to be in place. And as Christians, we are called to honor and respect our government. Even when they do things that we don't agree with. I am certain that the people living in Peter's day did not agree with the persecution they were undergoing. But Peter tells them to honor and respect the government that is in place. We need to use legal methods of protesting. We are given the right 
uh, to, to protest nonviolently. And when there is an injustice, when there is oppression, uh, when there is uh, an evil that our government has allowed, then we need to protest that nonviolently within the legal uh, grounds that we have been given. We need to submit to our government in a way that honors God first. Christians do not, true Christians do not kill in the name of Jesus. True Christians do not protest funerals in the name of Jesus. True Christians do not blow up buildings in the name of Jesus. True Christians do not threaten violence against a government in Jesus' name. We just don't do that. We have the right to protest, and we should use that right when there is evil in the world. But we must do it with honor and respect for the leaders that God has put into place. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. We are called to honor and respect our government. Like I said, it's not always easy. But there are ways to do it that honor God. And that should be our goal. Third blank on your outline. Working under the employer. How many of you have a job? How many of you woke up today and thank God for your job? Not as many hands. <laughs> Working under the employer. First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. Slaves. <laughs> now, how many of you feel like slaves at your job? Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Slavery was different in the Roman Empire. It was a class of citizens. Uh, if you were in debt to somebody, serious debt to somebody, you could sell yourself into slavery under that person to work off your debt. Or you could be born into slavery as, as a class of the, the citizenry, as a class of people. Um, some slave owners were good. Some slave owners were kind and, and gentle to their, to their uh, servants, to their slaves. Others were cruel and harsh. And they beat their slaves. And... What Peter is saying is that whether your master beats you or is kind to you, again, show honor and respect to them. Submit to them. And again, if you're a Christian slave living in the first century and you're being beaten and you, know, you haven't done anything wrong, you've got to be wondering, why is this happening to me? How can I actually respect and honor this person who is beating me? It's what Peter says to do, that in Jesus' name, we live differently. I think this translates well to a, an employer-employee relationship. Uh, I think that, um, you know, when it comes to the jobs that we have, and, and maybe not even jobs, maybe, you're, maybe if you're a student, uh, like a teacher-student relationship as well. You know, how are we living our lives when it comes to work or school? How are we behaving? Are we living and behaving in such a way that it honors God? You take five, ten minutes extra for lunch. No big deal. Everybody does it. Right? Anybody ever say that? Anybody ever do that? No hands, please. You don't need to know. Or five, ten minutes extra on the break. Take an extra break. Nobody's around. Nobody's watching. It's okay. Not a big deal. 
stealing from your employer, taking office supplies, taking money, embezzling, you know, it's not a big deal. No one's going to get hurt. No one's going to find out. No, there's no way you'll ever get caught. It's not a big deal. You know, uh, cheating on a test. Maybe you're a student and you're cheating on a, you know, you're tempted to cheat on a test. Teacher can't see you, you know, and just, uh, oh, <laughs> the answer is A. It's not right. We need to live lives of integrity. We need to uh, live lives that are good, according to Peter, among those who are not living lives that are good. We need to be different, to go against the flow. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't give us an excuse to not live lives of integrity. We need to live lives of integrity and honor and character. We need to work hard. I mean, if, if you're doing the wrong things, and you're getting, you know, your boss is coming down hard on you or your teacher's coming down hard on you. And there's a reason for that. Stop doing the wrong things. Now, if you're suffering for doing right, as Peter talks about here, if you're suffering for doing the right things, Peter still says you've got to submit, you've still got to respect and honor, but know this. This is the key. Because it, it's no, it stinks. Being persecuted for doing the right thing. I was in first grade. I was in first grade. My friends and I were in the bathroom. And they're messing around. Doing what first grade boys do. They're like swinging on the, the stall door. You know, splashing water. I'm like, come on guys. Come on, we gotta get out of here. Teacher's coming, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. Teacher knocks on the door. Get out here. I won't tell you her name. She was really sweet till this day. And this was in the days when, when they had paddles. And they were allowed to use them. I'll never forget looking between my legs and seeing my teacher rear back and lay the smack down. I was doing the right thing, though. I was trying to get them out. Seriously, I was. All right? I'm not lying. I'm, I, was, I was actually trying to get the other boys out of the, the bathroom and yet I was punished for doing the right thing. It wasn't fair. And apparently it scarred me so badly that 33 years later, I still remember her face and that paddle. Only swat I ever got in school. That's the truth as well. When you suffer for doing good, you wonder, why in the world am I suffering? When you suffer for doing wrong, if I was swinging from the door, I deserve it. You're suffering for doing the wrong thing. You deserve it. If you're suffering for doing the right thing, remember this. Rather than retaliation, know that God sees it. And God is the ultimate judge. And he will, he will take care of it in the end. But you don't understand. My boss is a jerk. My teacher's a jerk. My foreman is a jerk. Why did I get so loud? I wasn't yelling, was I? But you don't understand, Sean. You don't get it. No. You know what? They may seem unfair. They may seem unreasonable. But we have to submit to and respect all the authorities. And it may not be easy, but we got to do the right things. And you know what? This also goes, if you're a boss, if you're a foreman, if you're a manager, if you're a teacher... 
you've got you've to show respect as well. Treat your people fairly. Treat them with respect. Treat them with honor. Those are children of God. Those are God's, you know, God created them in His image. And you should treat them fairly and with respect. So it goes both ways. Whether you're a manager or, an, or a, a working under a manager, you respect those in authority, and if you have the authority, you need to respect those under you as well. Fourth blank on your outline, following our example. See, Peter wraps it all up here, and he's going to give you the greatest example of, of persevering through suffering and putting up with suffering. Verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The reason, the reason we show respect to those who are in authority over us, whether it's a, a manager, a boss, a teacher, governor, town council, president, the reason we show respect is because Jesus is our example. He is the ultimate example of one who suffered for doing the right thing. He never sinned. He was completely blameless. And yet he was crucified. He suffered in his body. He suffered in his soul. He suffered on our behalf. It was for our sake that Jesus suffered. It was for our sake that he went to the cross and died. He didn't deserve it. You may be thinking, well, I don't deserve it either. He didn't deserve it. And yet he took our punishment on that tree. He took our punishment for the things that we have done. And now he has made it possible that by God's grace, through faith in him, through faith in him we can be saved. We can have the promise of eternal life. We can have the promise of, of joy and hope and love and peace in our lives. The promise of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And it is because Jesus died that we are saved. The ultimate injustice, the ultimate injustice was suffered on that cross. For the only perfect man who ever lived suffered on our behalf. He took our punishment. He did the right things and yet was crucified for our sake. He lived a life of pure righteousness and holiness and yet was crucified. He suffered because he did what was right. And it was the Father's will according to uh, Isaiah, it was the Father's will to crush him that he should suffer for our iniquities. So here's the question, is will we live for him? Will we do the things that he did? Will we, even if we suffer, will we suffer like he did? He didn't open his mouth. He didn't retaliate. He could have, 10,000 angels, could have called down 10,000 angels. Said, take care of all these folks for me, all right? But he didn't. He went to the cross willingly and suffered for us. Jesus did the right things even in the face of suffering. And now we are called to do the same. 
Peter says that we all, we're all like sheep. Sheep get lost real easy. They're not the brightest animals in the world. In fact, their wool, the phrase pull the wool over their eyes, their wool gets so thick that it actually grows over their eyes, they can't see where they're going. And they get lost. They go astray. And sometimes the wool gets thick over our eyes, and we get lost, and we go astray. And Jesus, what does he do? He calls out of the darkness. He calls us out of the darkness and calls us to himself. My question is, is he calling you today? Maybe he's calling you to, to put your faith in him, to believe in him, and to be baptized. You can do that today. Maybe that's the call that he is giving on your life. Maybe he's calling you to receive grace and healing and forgiveness, to, call, to come out of the darkness, to give your life to him. Is he calling you today? Maybe he's calling you to live differently. Maybe you've heard some of these things today and you're thinking, man, I've got to make some changes. There's got to be some changes in my life because I'm not living the way I should. I'm not living a life of righteousness like Jesus would have me to do. I'm living like everybody else. Maybe he's calling you to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him, calling you to live differently, calling you to surrender your will to his will. The challenge for us all is to live out 1 Peter 2.17. Look at this. 1 Peter 2.17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. That is our challenge today. So who are you, to whom are you having a hard time showing respect? Maybe it's the president. Or maybe it's Congress. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your teacher. Maybe it's someone else in your life. And uh, maybe it's your employees, the ones who work for you. When we fail to demonstrate honor and respect for those in authority, we give unbelievers an excuse to reject Jesus. Let me say that one more time. When we fail to demonstrate honor and respect for those in authority, we give unbelievers an excuse to deny Jesus Christ. Do not be the reason that someone won't turn to Jesus. Don't be the reason. Don't let an attitude of dis, disrespect and, and dishonor cause someone to turn away from faith in Christ. But rather, let us humble ourselves and show respect to those who are in authority. Because after all, it is God who ordained those authorities and put them into place. So as we show God honor and respect, let us honor and respect those with whom he has given authority. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes it can be so difficult and so hard to respect and honor those who are in positions of authority over us. But Lord, even when they cause us to suffer, we are called to show respect, to show honor, and to uh, not just honor them, but to honor you by honoring them. To respect you by respecting them. To submit to Jesus, the one who is our ultimate example of submission in the face of suffering. Help us to live different lives. To be different from those around us. That we might, that we might lead people to Jesus. That they would notice a, a, a difference in our lives in the way that we live, with lives of character and integrity and righteousness. We want to please you, God, in everything we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name.